everybody. Welcome to the Subtext Podcast. My name is Brian James Polak. Each month on the Subtext, I speak with a playwright about life, writing, and whatever itches we're scratching. This month, I share with you a conversation with writer, director, performer, and professor Madeline Sayet. Madeline is a member of the Mohegan tribe in Connecticut, where she was raised on a combination of traditional Mohegan stories and Shakespeare, both of which have influenced her work as a stage director of new plays, classics, and opera. For her work, she has been named a Forbes 30 Under 30, a TED Fellow, MIT Media Lab Directors Fellow, and a recipient of the White House Champion of Change Award from President Obama. She is a clinical assistant professor with the Arizona Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies at Arizona State University and executive director of the Yale Indigenous Performing Arts Program. Currently, Madeline is touring a solo play titled Where We Belong that she wrote and performs. Here is a description of the play. In 2015, Mohegan theater maker Madeline Sayet travels to England to pursue a Ph.D. in Shakespeare. Madeline finds a country that refuses to acknowledge its ongoing role in colonialism just as the Brexit vote threatens to further disengage the UK from the wider world. In this intimate and exhilarating solo piece, Madeline echoes a journey to England braved by Native ancestors in the 1700s following treatise portrayals and forces us to consider what it means to belong in an increasingly globalized world. I'm including a description of the play as well as a snippet of audio from a production of it because we talk a lot about this during our conversation and I want you to have some context for that. The next thing you will hear is that audio snippet followed by our conversation, which was recorded over Zoom in July of 2022. We must all stand in love for the tribe. That is the only way we will survive. But what if we don't? What if in my lifetime we all just fade away? Then you will have to explain that to your ancestors when you face them. Mm-hmm. My name is Achokais. I am a Mohegan. I study Shakespeare. Most people don't like talking about colonialism as much as they like talking about Shakespeare. Today's story isn't about Shakespeare, though. Today's story is how I became a bird. I need a fresh start. Somewhere I'm not hated for being me. The settlers killed something in our souls when they took our language. I look at my wings, wondering if they'll ever work, wondering if they even know what they are. Can someone tell me where I'm going? They don't care about balance, stability, community, peace. They care about me. I've been trying to remember a story. A long time ago, our ancestors told it to us. I think it has to do with where we belong. In the sky, one world might be clear. The closer you get to something, it's always more complicated on the ground. Uh, how long have you been on the road? It's weird because there's pockets in between. Like now till the end of the year, it's pretty consistent till the end mm. of the year. Um, but uh, so it's weird because the tour technically started, well, it's weird because basically the show was the, there was a film adaptation that was created during the pandemic um, when the theaters were closed. And then when it decided it was going to tour, we put it back together at Baltimore in fall of 2021. But then the tour technically started in like, 
May. So it was like, it was like put together. And then six months later, we were like, hopefully we remember. And then the tour <laughs> technically started in Philly in like May, but there was one like month long break between Philly and Chicago. And now from here till sort of the end of the year, it's pretty much just consistent. I just spent two weeks on a road trip. Mm-hmm. So like I was quote unquote on the road for, for two weeks. And by the end, I felt completely ungrounded. Mm. Like, how, like, do you feel unmoored in some way? I, you know, it's weird because um, the play, wait, are we actually, is this real now? I can't tell <laughs> So. Um, we have a soft opening. Yeah, right. It just, the, it just happens. <laughs> the, so the play is actually about a period of my life in which I was traveling constantly. And so it's interesting because in some ways, the more that I travel, the more, the play starts to make sense again to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the thing that's really very different about this tour than most tours is that the stops are really rather long. Like I'm in Chicago for five weeks, you know, that's very different. I think than if I was like actually doing like, you know, like what musicians and people do where it's like a day and then a day somewhere completely different. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that would be extreme, but currently um, I don't, I don't currently feel, uh, un, unmoored. I sort of feel like, like, oh, I got to know Chicago and Chicago's like pretty cool. And like, you know, it, it sort of feels like I get to have a relationship with different places because I'm in each place for like a month. Hudson Valley Shakespeare is the next stop and that's the shortest one. So I wonder if, if at that point I might start to feel a little bit less grounded, but I think because as a director, I travel so much for work to begin with. And because I'm telling a story that is so deeply rooted in place and in my culture and in my people, um, it, it it hasn't had like an extremely unmooring effect on me at this moment. That's mm-hmm. not to say that it might not within a few weeks. <laughs> has it has it changed your your feelings or thoughts or relationship to home or what home means? Um. So again, I think. The play is about that, but I'm at a different point in my journey. It's so weird. So, so where we belong was written like at this time when I was flying back and forth between countries a lot for work. And I feel like that was really perspective altering in a very different way because the policies are radically different from country to country. And I feel like I didn't experience that in America until the pandemic when suddenly you would go from state to state and there would actually be different policies in place that you could see. I mean, there's always, we always have state by state, you know, legal systems, but you know, until recently, I feel like they weren't as visible in a lot of ways um, to us. Like right now, we're all very conscious, like which states, you know, abortion is legal and not legal and things like that. You know, so um, it's uh, it's interesting because I feel like now I'm much more conscious of like state by state cultures in a way that I wasn't previously. Um, but it, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting shift in perspective. But I do think that right now I sort of feel like if anything. I live, so technically I live in Phoenix right now because that's where my professorship is, but I still kind of consider like where my tribe is like at Mohegan home. And so I think because I'm more grounded in that right now than I was when I was living internationally and doing a lot of international travel, I think it's, it's less jarring in some ways because of that. That being said, I do have a bad habit of like, I'll get to the next stop and I'll constantly go in the wrong directions in a building because I'll just have habitualized like mm-hmm, whatever the place right. I was right before. And so I'm like, why are you going left when there's nothing down here? Yeah. Um, and Chicago actually has been particularly 
great. Uh, I would say like as a performer, like the audiences have been really good. It's a weird little piece and not everybody like is really as receptive, you know, there's, there's, it, it, there's a wide span of kinds of venues it's going to, and it's like a weird little play. And so Chicago being like a very theater city um, has really been a really great place to be doing it where audiences have been very like vocally engaged, which as a solo performer is like so key. Um, so I've, I felt good doing it here, but I don't feel like, oh, Chicago is now where I stay forever. I'm very conscious that I leave in three days and I'm kind of excited now to, to get to see more places in this way. But I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm definitely like, I think it's a great way to get to kind of like try out cities if you're ever interested in living different places. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you mean by weird little play? Um, it's so it wasn't written to be a play, you know, it was, um, I wrote it when I was trying to process some things. So I, um, I had just moved back from the UK and I was, I was grappling with at that moment, you know, London had in, in some ways been home and I was really grappling with what it meant as a Mohegan person to be missing England and whether that made me a traitor and, and thinking about that in a lot of ways, also from a policy perspective to be leaving a place that has, you know, ever socialized healthcare to a place that, you know, does not. And, um, you know, it was 2018. So the, 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 you know, the political state was just something I was thinking about a lot as, you know, England was still hadn't Brexited, but it was still in the middle of the Brexit mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking a lot about what it means to be creating creating lines between people and, and how systems get set up and constructed. And so I wrote this sort of piece also at a moment when I was very interested in oral tradition and what it means to just, you know, be processing something like with people, honestly, to kind of just process some of the questions I had been engaging with. And, and as an Indigenous person, in a globalized world, like what does it mean to have a, to find a place where you belong or is that even possible? And, um, and so I wrote it originally kind of almost as like a journal entry. Do you know what I mean? It was very written, the original first draft was like entirely stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, and I shared it and I, I, I ended that version in the sky. It was about, I was processing this whole being up in the, this being unrooted thing from the, from the perspective of my Mohegan name, which is Blackbird and thinking about um, what it means to transform into a bird and what is that shift in perspective to be suddenly seeing things from far away. Mm. And, and at that moment from a very, uh, you know, real uh, place within my sort of self that I actually was like, I don't know if this is permanent, like if this is the way that I will always see the world now from this like very distant perspective. And I didn't necessarily think it was wrong, but just like, what is this, you know? And so mm. Originally, when I shared it, it was like a very private reading that honestly I thought was going to be the end of it. And it was just to kind of process what I was going through. And a friend of mine joked that, like, of course, it made sense that I processed it like in this particular manner, because like that's how I process everything is like through theater in some form. But I wasn't expecting it to be like it would then be performed anywhere, you know, and and what had happened was I um I sent it to to the Arcola was having this uh, Global Women's Voices uh, reading series um, that Global Voices Theater in London was putting on. And I was curious what London would think about all this stuff I was trying to process. So I sent it to them just like, like on a, I, I also have like an over, uh, I apply to too many things. I don't do it as much now that I'm like kind of overbooked, but like I used to just apply to like everything mm -hmm. right, right, um, right. when I was younger. And so I sent it in like just curious, like what they would think and they chose it for the reading series. And, um, and then through that, um, uh, the um, Border Crossings uh, Festival, Border Crossings Origins Festival, which is a festival of indigenous arts in London, um, 
you know, asked if it could be part of their festival. And then it ended up in Shakespeare's Globe that way. So it was suddenly like I, this thing that I didn't expect to perform at all, that I thought was just a secret that I had kept for myself was going to have to be performed publicly. And like, it was going to have to be performed publicly at Shakespeare's Globe. So suddenly I was like, and then, you know, I got a director because I was like, then I was like, someone needs to. And originally I got a director, honestly, um, Brian, because I was convinced otherwise I would run away. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be an opening stage direction that says performer exits. It would just be, I would just return. Be gone, you know? and then like, no text. <laughs> yeah, it was too vulnerable. So I was like, I was like, I need somebody else to hold me accountable to make sure that I do the thing. Um, because it was so scary and so like raw and real at that point. And it used to, it, the first time I did it, it did make me very sick actually to perform the piece. Um, and, uh, and I didn't think it would be sustainable. So I didn't think like, you know, I would ever do it again because it was like, everything was so immediate at that time mm. to my experience. Um, but, uh, well, you said when you, when you first wrote this, it was, it was to process, mm -hmm. uh, were you able to process like what did what was the result of that first sort of like getting it out and, and and presenting it in front of people? Did you learn something about yourself? Did you get what you originally set out to get? So originally, I mean, because originally that original time that I processed it, like the audience was literally like my best friend and my mom. Like it wasn't like there was strangers there. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. like a very small kind of thing. Um, originally, honestly, it was more like confessing something. To be honest, it was like I had to, I felt I had to confess something that um that as a native person felt like illegal you know um mm -hmm. and so um I think in 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 work in confessing that like I the, the play ended and everyone was just like bawling and I was like half a tear but like um everyone was saying that there, there was different resonances that, that different people were having with it and and so there was an importance to kind of talking about certain things that don't usually get talked about um, that felt very palpable in the early versions. And, um, and as it, it kind of continued its journey, the, the politics of the world shifted in some ways, it became more pointed about certain things, about certain historical events, it became more direct. It was very indirect, I think, in some ways, originally, some of the, like, I would address things, but I wasn't as pointed in some instances, I think just mm -hmm. because honestly, it was being performed in England in 2019. And, and the world was just a little bit different then. Um, and so it was a lot more about being between spaces as opposed to now I feel like the piece is a lot more about um, the fact that like I'm, you know, sort of inhabiting Shakespeare as a space because, you know, my indigenous language was taken from me and, and sort of the direct corollaries in that are much more present now. Um, but basically every time I shared it, different people resonated with it. And that's ultimately why I ended up continuing to share it, um, even even in the tour. I, I don't know that there's been phases where I don't know that I would have been able to keep doing it, except for what keeps happening is like, I share my story and then people like share their stories back. Um, mm. Like they'll find me on Instagram or through my website or whatever. And they'll just be like, I just, you shared this. And so I feel like I had to share this poem. It made me write or this story from my childhood or this. And that that's been, what's really interesting to me is the ways in which it's like valuating like it's cre it's making people realize that there is value in their own stories and in sharing their own stories. And that I feel like is very powerful. Um, and, and, and so, and so that's a big part of sort of, I think how it's continued because it's, it's also evolved a lot. I think the early versions, both the, the version at the globe and the film, uh, everything was so 
close to me, like in terms of the events and how I felt about everything, that it was very painful to do. And over time, uh, it sort of had to turn a little bit more into a play in terms of the way I perform it, because it actually fully reliving somebody's trauma, your own trauma is kind of not replicable once you're doing it like 50 times. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I wonder if that's that's also partially because I remember when I used to work with the MIT Media Lab, somebody said this thing about how um, when you each time you remember something, your, your brain basically has to reconstruct the memory. Um, and so if you try, if you, if you call a certain memory, a certain number of times, it actually kind of changes over time because it's constantly being rebuilt. And, and so sometimes I wonder about that when I'm performing it, because I, I no longer now feel like I'm reliving the experiences. Now I feel like I'm doing the play, which is very weird because it's so different from what I was originally doing, but I just don't think that actually fully inhabiting those experiences over and over again would have been like emotionally or psychologically sustainable. Is that, is that the same as, uh, going from you, the person presenting your story to you now inhabiting a character that is sharing the story? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, I've become more conscious of like things like an arc now, like I'm actually like aware now that like for the play to work quite right. Um, the audience kind of has to watch me grow up over the course of it. Um, whereas I don't know that I was doing that originally. I think originally I was sitting in a lot of the pain of the thing. And um, and I don't know if it was as clear. It was definitely like affecting people always because I was, I was you know, so true, but I don't know if it was as clear. So it's interesting because now in some ways I feel like the shape of it feels a lot more like a play from inside of it. Mm-hmm. But it's still me, so it's weird, you know. It's like it's like me, but it's it's never like I. It's not like if the audience is like there's there have been a couple audiences where it was like there were like angry white supremacist people, and like you know if you have an audience that's like rejecting your truth, it's still like there's no distance between me and the character. If I'm like going on this little journey where I'm like somehow I'll get them to care, and they're like fuck you, I'm <laughs> like I don't I don't end the play being like you know like it's okay. I end the play like no, they're really never gonna care. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. it's yeah. Um, there isn't really distance, but it, it's, um, I think it's just that like, I personally have processed some of the extremity of some of the things. So it, I just don't go in. I don't, I don't, I'm not holding, I think as much pain around certain experiences, which I think actually is good. Cause actually some people, my mom used to say that early on, it was a lot, it was a lot to listen. It was just a lot to listen to <laughs> for that reason. What was the experience like as uh, an indigenous person in England versus here, like what is their what is the what are the what's their relationship to to that? Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, it's 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 different and not different. I think um, so. I think in I think that there's a couple layers to this. I think there is um, as an indigenous person in England within a Shakespeare like program is very different, I think, than like if I was an indigenous person in London studying post-colonialism. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that that was also a very specific context. Like I joked at one point later where I was like, I like went to the heart of Shakespeare and was like, I'm gonna go decolonize Shakespeare. And in retrospect, I was like, why did I think that was a good idea? Like, do you know what I mean? Like it was it made perfect sense to me at the time. And then I was like, you're like hitting your head against a wall. This is crazy. Um, because, because from an academic perspective here, most universities, there's at least some native professor at the university, you know, not all of them have a ton of native professors. Usually there's someone, or at least someone who understands indigenous studies. And so the ways in which I had to kind of like 
shift and shift and shift and shift. The way I talked about things academically was very problematic because there was like no lens from which them to, they could understand things at all. That being said, I think one of the things that was interesting is that similarly to some of my ancestors, like when I first got over there, there's this kind of glorification of it. Like, oh, she's here because like the native people love Shakespeare too. Therefore, like, you know, like I get invited to fancy things so people can like show off the native person who's very eloquent and like Shakespeare, you know what I mean? So it's a little demented. It's not like, um, it's not, uh, it's not as direct a form of racism. I don't know how to describe it. It's like in America, it's like, they're very clear with their expectations of feathers and fringe and like X, Y, and Z and what is and is not what they expect native people to be on stage. And like, they're very clear with their sort of like passive aggression that they've inherited from, you know, being raised dressing up as, you know, little kid native people on Thanksgiving and all of that stuff. Like they have a very specific, concrete, direct kind of racism in America. Whereas I think in England, um, one of the things, one of the lines in the play is that like, I say something at some point, like the strangest of all British customs to me is their distance from colonialism. I don't think they realize what they do. And, and I feel like that's very true because there's this like quietness to everything where it's like, we're sitting and we're drinking tea, but we're not acknowledging where the tea came from or the history of how the tea got here, you know? And it's, it's, um, so it is very strange because I think, you know, I think about, I think about the, the indigenous diplomats who, who went to England in the 1600s and 1700s and how they were treated when they got to England as celebrities, you know, because they were this novelty and they were representing a different culture and there was a uniqueness to that. And I feel very much so like my scholarship was seen in that way where it was like, oh, if we have the native person expert on Shakespeare, that is a thing of prestige. However, what happens if I start writing about something else? No, 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 you should probably write about what you know. You know, so it's 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 a it's complicated. It's very complicated um, for a lot of reasons. And and you know, I noticed, you know, the ways in which there were different, I was doing some analysis at one point in time too, in terms of the differences in um, BIPOC representation in general within, you know, their, their theaters. And, um, it's just interesting. So much of it has to do with policy, um, in both nations and how, how things move forward and, and don't. But, um, I think the most obvious, the most, the strongest thing is that there it's like, you're, it's incredible that you're native and it's kind of like exotic delight. Um, but they still have very limited expectations for what you should be doing. Whereas here, um, you're more likely, I think, to find other Native people somewhere that also are sharing experience with you to be able to work with on a project. But in addition to that, I think here when you're dealing with, you know, things in the university and academia, I think the racism is a lot more direct. That makes sense. Hmm. Do they have a sort of propriety in England? Uh, and I need you to speak on behalf of everybody who lives in <laughs> England <laughs> with this right, question. Yeah. But did, did you get a sense of a proprietary relationship to Shakespeare? You know, like. I actually, I actually think that they're much more. Well, this is hard because there's theater and there's academia and they're not the same thing. Um, I think in terms of theater there, they're actually more flexible in terms of how Shakespeare is handled than in America. Mm -hmm. I think, I think there, there, there's a much wider expectation of experimentation with the text. Um, I think here is some aspect of like 
the American puritanical like missionary complex gets infused into Shakespeare and it becomes like he's supposed to be treated like some sort of deity Mm -hmm. Um, there I think he's a cultural figure but like all cultural figures there's this kind of understanding of intellectual engagement and artistic expression so they expect people to chop up the plays to bits and mess with them and try all sorts of different things on it and that doesn't make it less valued Um, Mm. Whereas I think here there is this expectation of what Shakespeare is and should be that's very strange because it gets, it's only like, it gets handed down, it seems like it shifts every like 50 years, and then like they only can see so far back I don't I don't know what it's about because it's like it's not based in actual early modern practices it's like whatever someone thinks is traditional based on the last version of Shakespeare they saw. Um, So I think that that's very different um, in the two countries, I do think in terms of. in terms of academia, I was, I mean, I was really working with, with really fantastic scholars, but I, there I worked with very fantastic scholars who dealt with the traditional aspects of Shakespeare. Here, I work with really fantastic scholars who deal with the sort of more cutting edge side of academia as, 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 as it's connected to Shakespeare. So it's not like either is wrong. It's just, um, it's just different. And to be honest, um, what, what exists within the play in terms of me encountering, you know, people saying things is actually a hybrid of things said to me in academia and in like Shakespeare theater conferences. So it's Mm. not, it's not actually, I didn't really separate that. I sort of kind of blurred some of the edges around like what people's expectations are, um, in general, because they're really not as different as you would think. How how did your relationship to Shakespeare evolve from when you first encountered his work? I'm assuming at a, you know, when when most of us encounter Shakespeare, like the first bit of theater we're ever introduced to or play. Uh, I don't mean to make that assumption for you. Um, but how did it evolve to, to you know, getting in and studying it at such a uh, PhD level? Yeah, so when I was a kid, um, my mom started taking me to see outdoor Shakespeare when I was like seven, six or seven. And so my grandpa and I like, I, I loved it. But honestly, at the time, I really liked it because my mom made this like tuna macaroni salad thing. And I was like a little bit of a chubby kid. And like the, the tuna macaroni salad thing was really driving me to the Shakespeare. But, <laughs> but I was never going to acknowledge that, you know what I mean? But uh, but at the time, you know, it was that plus people running around a field acting crazy. But my mom was like obsessed with taking me back because um she she thought it was kind of interesting that I understood everything that was going on because I was so young. I think I, I didn't actually see the language as being confusing in any way. I was sort of just like more weird language, whatever, you know? Um, and so like she talks about the first instance I was there, like explaining what was going on to some college students next to us. And so I, and so she was like, oh, I gotta take her back, make her see more of this. Um, and so, and so it became kind of a part of my fairy tales and it was just like a fun thing that we did. And I read the complete works when I was like, you know, a kid. So I didn't think like, oh, this is weird or this is jargony. I just thought it, you know, was another form of story. And, um, and as I grew up, my facility with Shakespeare gave me access to a lot of things. So like in instances, like I was always a better Shakespeare actor than I was a normal actor because of my facility with the text and my understanding of how the plays work. Um, and so I grew up performing outdoor Shakespeare and, um, and my first, you know, my first instance, um, directing was, was a Shakespeare play that I felt passionately about reimagining. And so there was many instances in my life where I returned to Shakespeare as like a form of 
comfort and confidence because it was the thing that mm. I was good at. Like it was never questioned that Shakespeare was the thing that I was good at. And I really loved it. Like I really loved performing it um, as a young person so, so much. And the ways in which I was comfortable performing it changed over time. Like when I was like a teenager, you know, I, I, you know, was, had very complicated relationship to my feelings, like many teenagers. And so I was like very into being Juliet and those things. And as I got older, um, I just didn't want to have to be those people. And so there was a phase where I would perform still, but I would only play the fools and I would only play the male characters. And I was like very mm. clear about that because I was interested in like getting to be those more liberated characters. And I wasn't really interested in like knowing I had to like die by midway through the show. Like I just wasn't as, <laughs> right. It wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't it didn't feel like it was doing anything um, in my mind. And then as a director, I started actively working right to use the plays to then transform the landscape of how we think about the world by really you know, talking to people about who they wanna be and what kind of world they wanna see um, using those plays. So for me, it was always a form of liberation in some way to be working with Shakespeare and to be finding new ways of finding myself through the text. So I left um, to do a PhD in Shakespeare at this moment when I really, had lost all faith in the American theater. Um, I had been involved in like a bunch, a couple really big fights around Red Face where I left them just thinking, oh, people really just don't care. Like they just are just gonna keep wanting me to do, they're just gonna keep wanting what they think native theater is. They're not gonna like actually treat us like people. And, and so I saw um, doing the PhD in Shakespeare as a way of, you know, one, having a kind of, um, power over people in a certain capacity because I know how the Shakespeare community, you know, sees studying Shakespeare in England and things like that. And so I knew having a kind of facility with Shakespeare already that that would be looked upon very positively and it would give me a kind of power over certain mm. types of conversation. Like the um, the whole idea of, you know, uh, making yourself undeniable. So it's, um, it's, that was a big part of it. But also, you know, at that moment I was like, I just need to, I need to take a break from the American theater. And, um, and so I did, and I went over there and, um, and I was really, I really enjoyed a lot of the, the analysis of, I enjoyed getting to read, you know, his plays chronologically and think about how he evolved as a playwright. Um, but what I found over and over again was there was this unwillingness to talk about certain things in the plays that I felt were were really important, you know? Um, and and um, I wasn't surrounded by a lot of other, um, you know, BIPOC folks or artists even, you know? And a lot of people, you know, when they, they see a play and they're an academic and they're, they're just fussed about what got cut, you know, it's, it's a very, it can be a very interesting um, perspective on, on all of that. But basically um, at the point when I leave the UK, I'm, I mean, I'm realistically still at a different point in the Shakespeare journey than I am now. So, 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 so I get over there and I'm doing all this stuff. And, and I think ultimately a, a big part of it is I, I find out that even within Shakespeare, I'm still being put in a, in a box of some kind, right? Like I'm still like the native, I become the native Shakespeare person is essentially what happens, right? I become expected to, for my thesis to be a book that covers all of the relationship between native people and Shakespeare, right? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't and make are any you, sense. at this time, are you wanting, are you wanting to separate yourself and just, and just, and study him and his work? Um, I mean, I am doing both, you know, I'm writing about all, all aspects of things, but I think, I think the thing, the, the thing that's difficult is right. So you can only, 
you're in academia, imagine you're in academia, right? So you can only reference things that are peer reviewed or they get mad at you, right? But if there's no precedent for the work, it gets very complicated. So mm. I'm constantly being told that like, I can only do X, Y, and Z, and that I'm supposed to be critiquing certain things. And, um, and in order to do my work, in order to look at a period of time that is contemporary, I have to set up all of the history because the history hasn't been written about. So, so my, my thesis ends up sort of being supposed to span like the entire relationship, <laughs> um, which, which is just an, a ridiculous, a ridiculous thing for any one, you know, where, whereas, you know, like there are literally other people who are like one word they're writing about for a whole, you know, for a whole book. So it's, um, it's, and, and also the being treated then as the representative of the thing when what you're doing is, is, is not actually that. And a big part of why I actually left was also the realization that I couldn't do the work at the right speed through academia because I could like I actually needed to be working with people not with like a book that might come out in five years and then somebody might read right mm -hmm. um but but at the point when I when I am writing the early drafts of where we belong um I'm still very much between things like feeling like I'm being pulled between Shakespeare and um and home uh, and, and that's very present throughout that, that like people are questioning from both sides, like, who am I in between these things? And I think after that, I directed a bunch more Shakespeare plays and I started to get very frustrated, I think, with the idea that these plays are expected to hold everything, that they're expected to solve the world when in fact, like they will always be plays, you know, from the, the late 1500s, early 1600s, like that's not going to change. Like Shakespeare's Shakespeare isn't like a magic, you know, button. He can't actually represent everything. And so I became more and more frustrated with that and with aspects of people's expectations around universalism and with the fact that like, you know, I realized at one point, like, listen, the reason I was so obsessed with Shakespeare was because I didn't know native theater existed until my final year of college. Um, and, and that wasn't an accident. That's because of the like the fact that native arts were made illegal in this country for so long, you know, and that, that like, if, you know, Shakespeare is the only named author in the common core, he's required to be read. Like you don't go into a bookstore and see any native playwrights. You go into a bookstore and you see 8 million editions of Shakespeare. And so I started to become more conscious of the act of erasure that Shakespeare's presence is a part of. And, and that sort of, um, complicated the journey even more for me. And then it kind of, the play itself, because of that evolved to be more about language loss and language, language repatriation for that reason. Um, that being said, like I technically, right? Like I am technically still a Shakespeare professor. I am, I work at the Arizona Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies. Um, uh, but it's very actively a Shakespeare Center that that is at the forefront of the race poor race movement and, you know, um, pre-modern critical race theory. So it's, it's, um, it's it's not like it's a weird thing because it's like I think that the sort of arc of my relationship with Shakespeare so much is so so much from it being a thing that brings me joy to a thing that like gives me sort of authority then to a thing that I start to question and then the questioning of it uh I guess gets me a lot of trolls is really how it all ends but um uh but basically yeah so it's 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 complicated because all I've I mean I've never said anything like against Shakespeare's plays all I've ever said is like hey, we should probably talk about what's in them and really like think about what the characters are saying. You know, things that are very sane when you're directing any play. And yet somehow like the conservative media of England has found ways to regurgitate what I'm saying as if I am a hard beast over and over again. When I've never said like, don't do a play. I've said like, think about what's in it while you're doing it, you mm -hmm. know? 
Very weird. Uh, yeah. And well, and then here in the United States, there's this sort of Shakespeare industrial complex. Yes. Right. Is that a phrase that I got from you? No, I did not create the Shakespeare industrial complex, but it does exist. Yes. No, no, um, no. I, the, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I got that, where I first read that phrase. started saying the Shakespeare industrial complex. Yeah. Um, I know. I don't know. I don't know. But I did not coin it is what I'm saying. Yeah. I oh, also okay. did not coin Shakespeare missionary complex. Um, <laughs> I arrived yeah. at a brilliant moment <laughs> to, to continue conversations um, that had already been started by many others. Um, but both of those things are true, right? So the Shakespeare industrial complex is extensive. And I also acknowledge I'm very much part of it, right? So it's it's also that it's the thing is is like there there is this system in America set up to to make a ton of money off of Shakespeare, and so it's not going anywhere mm -hmm. right. um, because it is this huge machine, uh, and and that's also tied to it being so ingrained in the education system, right? So like the fact that there's so much funding going towards Shakespeare and that people also like going to see plays that they already know what they are. And it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's a big problem. I found it, I found it interesting when you were talking about being uh, seven years old and your mother taking you to these plays and you not having a problem with the language, because that's always been my problem with Shakespeare being the first piece of theater introduced to people. Uh, it is, it, it's, uh, it's learning a new language in order yeah. to then learn what a play is. And those are two different sort of like academic activities, learning plays and theater and then learning old English language. Um, and learning to sit there and read it in your head too, which is what most kids are doing in school, right? They're like, here's a play. It's a thing that doesn't make any sense. And you're going to sit here and you're going to read. It's like, right. I, it's amazing. Anyone gets into theater at all. Like, <laughs> Well, that's, that's sort of what I'm, what I'm saying. Like, I feel like, yeah. Shakespeare is, is, is more of an advanced level or at least intermediate level uh, theater. But then yeah. we don't, I guess it's because we look at it as, as literature. It's like the intersection of literature and theater, but there aren't theater programs in schools. So we, we make everybody read Romeo and Juliet and yeah. check off the play theater box, right? Yeah. And it's also, you think about too, like not only for somebody was having a conversation with me about this recently, where it was, it was thinking about it, not only for theater, but they were also pointing out for poetry um, that Shakespeare kind of fills the poetry box too, where it's like, sometimes you're not getting to read like Natalie Diaz or contemporary poets because you're being taught Shakespeare. And that's sort of like all these other things you might think were really cool. You know, if you're introduced to them, you're only being introduced to Shakespeare. And um, I, I'm like very conscious now that like a lot of my academic success was because of the fact that I happened to be good at this thing as opposed to right like this thing being good for uh, I, I don't know this, this idea that Shakespeare is good for students I think is, is very problematic and I think ultimately you know it becomes the test it becomes you're being trained to understand something that may or may not actually um, aid you in any in any way shape or or form so it's a very weird kind of and I actually also remember the first time I was in a Shakespeare play being like horribly bored during rehearsals like I remember <laughs> like it was the first time as like a kid I was doing a Shakespeare play instead of a musical and I was like oh I really wish we were doing Pippin right now you know like <laughs> I was like this is the worst like this like I was like once it was my turn I was like doing something but like in between I was like oh my god 
And that's, that's as somebody who really likes Shakespeare. Right. And so it's, it's, um, it's interesting because I also feel like for me, even now as a Shakespeare theater goer, I really go for the game of like, what are the, what choices did they make with the show? I mean, I kind of think of Shakespeare as like fan fiction because the reason mm. people get together and talk about it is it's a common reference point. You know, people like to be able to be like, oh, they made this choice or they made that choice or what is this character going to do this time? More so I think than sometimes they even actually like the plays. And, and I think that that's really um, complicated because it's, you're not going to see it. I mean, some musicals, people have that same relationship to, right? But it, it, for the most part, it's its own sort of strange cover band category that's like separate from the rest of theater. Was there anything else you wanted to be when you were young? Like, did you imagine a future that was different for yourself? I never thought I would be a director. Um, I actually, for some reason, it didn't even occur to me that I could be a director. Um, sounds very strange. I don't think I really knew any female director. I think, I think it was sort of like, it also just seemed like not like a particularly fun job. Um, I think as a kid, I wanted to be um, an artist of some kind that was always very clear to me. Uh, or a writer, like a writer or a performer or a painter or a dancer. Like, I didn't really care. I just, need, I wanted to be a storyteller of some kind. Um, and that was sort of the space I always sort of occupied. Um, I, I don't think uh, if I had like imagined my future, I would have ever imagined myself becoming like a playwright and director. And then the director me 10 years ago probably would have never imagined that I somehow came back around and became a solo performer. Yeah, it'd be weird, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so so I think that um, yes and no, because I think I always was attracted to being some form of storyteller. Did you grow, I mean, you mentioned how your mother was the one feeding you uh, this Shakespeare, bringing you to these shows. Was your, was your home life particularly uh, artistically engaged in other ways? Like, it was did you grow up in a in a home where like being an artist was an option? It's an interesting question. So um yes and no, because I think I think so it was common. My mom's a writer and she always wrote constantly, but she wasn't really getting published or anything at the time, you know. So she was always writing and my grandpa was always writing. Um and so to be writing was normal, <laughs> mm -hmm. but not to make a life as an artist, to actually like have a life as an artist was like kind of an anomaly like and both sides of my family took me to see a lot of theater you know like my dad's side of the family also my my, my you know my dad and my grandma took me to see a lot of musicals and things um I think the, the Shakespeare thing started with my mom because she was friends with uh, the people running the, the Shakespeare company actually um and uh yeah it um it was always a thing that to that people, there were creative people around but not that it was like an occupation mm -hmm. and I think my parents to be honest maybe didn't originally see it as that, either, you know, like I still remember some family function where I like, I like, you know, said I was going to go to school for theater and someone like laughed at me and was like, Oh, you're going to school to be a waiter. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. so stupid, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, but um, I, I just really cared about storytelling. And I also, once I got into this field, um, because I just was passionate about making things, I didn't really, I was, I always say to people, like when I'm teaching, like to, to find your mission as an artist more so than like the thing you want to be, because if you know what your mission is, if you like know your goal is to transform the word world through storytelling, you can adapt what you're doing to find a way to do that. Whereas if you're like, I want to be an actor, then suddenly your life is in other people's hands and they get to decide whether or not you're an actor, you know? So, um, so for me, um, like the versatility of being able to be like, 
okay, we want to make something. Oh, nobody wants to direct. I guess I'm directing, even though that terrifies me or like, you know, like, oh, I think this story needs to change. I guess that means we need to adapt it. I guess that means I'm writing something or just blogging, like, you know, constantly about the theater industry. Like, I feel like I, I was constantly just finding different ways to be engaged with the field in ways that I was passionate about, particularly in native theater. Um, because, um, once I found out Native Theater existed, it was honestly such a transformational moment for me to both know that we had our own like canon and our own theater culture and also to know that it was was not being um, acknowledged, represented often was like such a such a um, easy thing to become passionate about at that point in time when it wasn't, you know, being presented in mainstream theaters the way it is now. Uh, so um, how did you become so how, where did this idea of becoming mission driven primarily for mm -hmm. as an artist how did that coalesce for you like was it like a light bulb just went off one day or yeah, did you, did you have a mentor I don't think I was able to put it into those words until later when I was trying to explain it to other people I think when I was what happened basically was I um I had finished undergrad a year early and I had done that kind of because I was like not really having a great time and so instead of like dropping half basically finished a year early I just took more classes really quickly um and the <laughs> summer after I graduated um I I got this email from my sister that Bill Yellowrobe um was having uh, a reading of one of his plays up in Maine and was looking for native volunteers to act in it and I had read one of his plays in my native theater class um and so he was like totes famous to me um, and so I was like, oh my God, I'm going. And then I was like the only one there because <laughs> native, because it's native theater, you know? So, um, so, so I was the only one who volunteered to like go to Maine, you know, to be in this reading. But what that meant was I was driving Bill around, you know, and I was getting to, to really spend time with him as a mentor and I get in, getting to understand what native theater was. And being in that reading was the first time I had been in a play where actually everything in it felt relevant and the stories like sat so much deeper. And suddenly I was like, oh, this is what theater is. Because prior to that, basically I had Shakespeare, which had some elements of magical realism and, and flexibility. And then I went to college where like, all we were doing was like Mamet, Pinter and Albie. And I was like, I'm gonna die. Like, this is not what I thought I, I signed up for. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, this, what is this? I don't even know what this is. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I was really disheartened. And, um, and then finding out that there was these other plays and that they, I just didn't know about them. I became really passionate about indigenous representation on stage and how do we articulate that? And so um, I was doing this master's uh, also at NYU in arts, politics and post-colonial theory really focused on issues of indigenous representation on stage. And it was my, my final project for that master's that I ended up directing my first show. And, um, and so it was really this opportunity to like intellectually engage with like, well, what happened? What went wrong? And like, how do, we, how do we work to fix this? And how do we even talk about this in ways that people can understand? And, and I think having, um, you know, and Bill got me involved with the native theater community in New York, which was a huge thing. And I'd only directed one play and he went and told, he's like, oh, Maddie's a director now. So it wasn't so much that I was like consciously like, oh yes, I want to do multiple things. It was sort of like, I actually, the first two shows I directed, like one was because both, I was originally supposed to be writing a play for my, my final project and I was not equipped. <laughs> I did not, I was not historically equipped at that moment to have all of the knowledge necessary to write this particular play about this particular time period. And I thought, you know, it'd be much easier to like direct a Shakespeare play to be about this thing. That'd be way easier. Mm -hmm. um, and it was way easier. So, um, but then the other, the other reason was because we, I had just been a part of this, um, this group of people that wanted to stay together as a company. 
and uh, nobody else wanted to direct. And so I was like, well, I'll try it, you know, if it's the only way to keep the group of people together. And then similarly with native theater, like Bill was like, hey, Maddie's a director now. And I was like, am I? I directed one play. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but there was a need for it. Like there was a need for me to step into that role. And so a lot of my like flexibility early on was genuinely like people thinking I could do something um, and, and me like, you know, just sort of adapting to whatever role needed to be filled at the time. And that, that's sort of how a lot of it's happened for me is it's less like me being like, oh, I need to be mission driven and more like, okay, how do I, how do we make the project happen? Like, what do I need to do to make the project happen? Um, and what job is that today? Who's the teacher uh, or how did it happen that you became introduced to Native theater for the first time? Yeah, so Carmen Lara Eli was actually a professor at NYU at the time and she was teaching a course on Native American theater that I was able to take my final year there. And it was it was hugely transformational because it was like, I genuinely, I'd, I'd never been in a situation where like one, like I had suddenly been put in the place of being the culturally normative, like, you know, like Native cultures were being centered in that class. Um, I suddenly realized we had a canon, you know, which then made every playwright I read in that class incredibly important to me, which was tricky because then whenever I'd be in places with them for like years later, I'd always be like, oh my God, like I get really nervous, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but but just that that concept that we had, a the I, I honestly, I knew we had our traditional storytelling and I knew there was Western theater, but that, um, but that we'd never been taught about native theater and that the stories had been kind of hidden and that it had only I don't know it was just um it was really transformational to to actually have our own theater course and I'm teaching I mean I'm teaching contemporary native drama this spring and I just always feel like that's just so important for for students to know you know and also to know the breadth of the work that there's so many different kinds of plays that it's not just um you know it's not something that can be essentialized or stereotyped because it's just there's so many different kinds of plays from so many different kinds of writers let alone so many different tribal nations so many cultures represented yeah. So how do you then approach teaching it in this course? Like, is it, uh, you know, in, in a lot of play classes, you could, you, it could just be text analysis and you're just really focusing on, you know, the construction and structure of, of a play, but yeah. how are you, how do you approach this class? I mean, I kind of approach everything in a way where I'm really interested in like what, um, what, what, what is being like, what is a story doing? Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I think for me, a lot of it is about um, one, making sure that they have the opportunity to talk to a lot of different native playwrights, because I think that's actually the most valuable thing, but also um, to really, you, you get a sense of the spans of stories and cultures from native nations, you know, across Turtle Island this way, um, how their languages are related to the work. I mean, there are common, there are common threads certainly throughout native theater, but a lot of the common threads have more to do with colonialism than the cultures from which they're coming, right? Because they have to do with the fact that we all dealt with some form of um, forced assimilation and language removal. We all dealt with some form of, you know, genocide. There, there, there are these certain mm -hmm. things that, you know, were put on us, um, that our stories were silenced, that we're fighting back against. Um, uh, and so I feel like it's important for not all of the plays even to be that, for there to be some indigenous futurisms or prehistories that actually there are no non-natives, you know, in so that people actually are, are able to actually reconcile what that is too. So, I mean, for me, it's about when I'm teaching anything related to, to theater, I think it's really about 
what is this, what, how is this, how is this creating a, a, like a space of liberation for you to think about what kind of worlds you want to build? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot about story medicine, about how um, this, you know, everything we do either heals or harms, but also how the stories we pass down and form our collective possible futures. And so for me, um, like there will obviously be aspects of the course where we do engage with different literary theory, but we engage with different literary theory, right? So it's always about the spectrum. So that mm-hmm. then you can choose how you want to apply things and you're really thinking critically about um, about the work and not trying to just like, you know, slap on a one size fits all thing. Because honestly, that's problematic even when you're doing Shakespeare. I mean, the thing that Shakespeare has as a luxury is that there's five bajillion books written about it, right? Like there's literally so much possible theory that you could reference. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you've got thousands of things to, you, can, you can reference even if you're writing about something like more niche. Like if you're writing about, um, you know, environmental, theory and Shakespeare, there's still thousands of things you can write, you know, so it's, it's, it's really just about creating a space for things not to have to be um, reduced. And in my case, you know, hoping that there's lots of native students in the course who then are empowered also by the possibility of what they make, they might create. Mm -hmm. As you've been on, as you've been on this tour, so kind of circling back to where we started, you've been on this tour for a while and it's continuing for a while. How, have you been able to sort of maintain the part of you that is a creator? Like, are you working on new things? Are you able to sort of compartmentalize in that way? Yeah, it's hard. Somebody was just like, hey, do you want to direct this workshop during the day while you're performing in New York? And I was like, I need to assess. Yeah, I do. I am still, I'm still moving forward a lot of projects. A lot of it, a lot of it kind of exists as a form of like when there's a week in between doing a workshop and the week in between tour and stuff like that. Um, I've had to kind of come to terms with, there was a point where I was trying to do like direct Zoom workshops, like the whole time I was was like, this is terrible. You can't do it. Cause I've now, I've now come to terms with the fact that like, you know, as much as directors might not like to acknowledge it, performing is a full-time job. Like my show is very much better when I don't do anything else during the day than when I do a bunch of other stuff during the day. That being said, I do have commission deadlines and things like that. So I, I am working on multiple projects um, at the same time, but even just not directing at the same time, to be honest, is a lot more um, relaxing and, and takes, a, takes a pretty big load off. So um, currently, I mean, currently I'm working on a bunch of different plays. There's this play, The Fish, that's this post-apocalyptic allegory of Noah's Ark that I was, uh, I've been writing that was commissioned by the Vineyard. Um, that's really fun. Um, I've been working with this, this um, theater company in London um, on this, this play about the period of time uh, in London in the 1600s. Uh, leading up to Matoaka uh, Pocahontas's murder um, and how that sort of serves as the foundations of capitalism and colonialism as we know it. Um, I, I recently created this new adaptation of Peter Pan called The Neverland um, that was sort of done in a pocket between tours. <laughs> um, that was that was really, really, um, it was fun. It's funny because the people who like, there's a lot of like corollary between it and where we belong that you can't really know unless you actually know. But like in terms of a lot of the framework of the world and the way that, um, uh, the the play acts as a source of liberation as opposed to an escape to somewhere else and how do we actually transform the world around us um and then there's a couple short film projects that I'm working on as well and there's a couple other things I'm working on with my tribe so there's there's a lot of things that are that are going on in addition to that I technically you know I'm still a professor at ASU and I'm also still the executive director of the Yale Indigenous Performing Arts Program so I I am not only doing the tour but 
the tour is better when I don't do other things during the day. It sounds like it sounds like you uh, either exist in a multiverse or you have uh, about ninety hours in your day. Yeah, I I um I don't yeah so it's <laughs> it's a uh, it's interesting it's an interesting uh, juggling act right now um uh, but it's been interesting because I I mean honestly I think saying no to directing projects has is is a big deal I mean I think about that now a lot as a writer because um when you're a director I mean you're just there you're just there in rehearsal all the time you know and you're managing people and honestly the, the work of managing people takes a lot of time just even sorting out the emails and everything takes a lot of time um so so not not directing for a little while I think it turned down something like six plays while we we're on tour and you know at first I was like really sad about it but then I was like no, it's okay. Like, it's actually okay. Like now it creates an opportunity for me going forward to really be like, what do I actually really want to work on? And I think because I was default, like a director for so long, um, getting to focus on like writing and performing and other things is actually really interesting to me right now. And also probably will make me a better director in the long run, because I'll have a lot more, um, uh, understanding and respect, I think, for my collaborators from different different ways of thinking about things. Um, but no, I don't have a million hours. I just am behind on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Are you able to sort of um, maybe you don't even worry about these sort of things? I'll put it in the in the context of me. I need uh, to not do something for uh, a period of time. Maybe it's a, sometimes it's a couple of days, depending on the what's happening creatively. Uh, do you need that? Do you need downtime? Uh, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of it. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I had to, when the tour started, I actually had to do like a, a like a hive mind check-in on Facebook with all the performers to actually understand. Cause I was trying to do stuff all day and then do the show and it didn't seem to be working. And so they, they were, you know, giving me advice and they were like, sleep in, do nothing on your days off. Like you actually need the time to physically and emotionally regenerate. And so like, well, I may not fully, fall, I, I do a lot less than I, mm -hmm. than I have ever done before. Um, Cause even when we um, film did the film adaptation, I was teaching like, uh, I was teaching with things were remote because it was the middle of the pandemic. So I was teaching like classes, you know, in the morning and then going to rehearsal. And I'm not, I'm not doing very much stuff like that right now. I'm really not, I'm, I'm writing but I'm sort of doing it slowly and a little bit on my own hours. And, and it's hard because for me, honestly, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me <laughs> to write, I actually really need, I don't need a ton of time, but I need a full day. If I don't have a full day to like lock myself in the closet, I'm not like a good, some, some writers are like really good about like, I'd have three hours every day and I could just write. And I'm like, mm -hmm. the way that like I spit something out for whatever reason is like, I need to just literally like lock myself in a small room and sit there and then something will come out by the end of the day. But like, if I, if it's just pockets of time, I don't, for some reason, don't have the attention span, unless it's something I've already worked on and it's like redrafting. But if it's, if it's like the initial burst, I just, I need actual like focused time. And so the tour has made, um, that, that fairly, fairly difficult, but, um, I don't have a solution for it. So I'm not going to pretend like I do right now. <laughs> You said you said at one point the uh, the act of writing where we belong at first was like a stream of consciousness and it was like a confession, right? Uh, how do you frame it now after performing it so many times? Like, 
what is it for you now? If you, you have confessed, it's, it's something else. Well, it no longer feels, I mean, also the structure of the play has kind of changed. Um, I feel like, I mean, it's a very layered play. I mean, honestly, I feel bad because I feel like as much as like people like kind of crap on Shakespeare about being too heady and intellectual. I'm like, I don't know, people come see where we belong. I'll be happy if they like get like a couple sentences, you know, because it is, it's very, <laughs> it's um like, I think Chicago really likes it because it's very like, you know, artsy and abstract, but it's like, you know, it's not for everybody because it is very, it's very, um it's a lot in a very small amount of time. And so it's not really designed for you to take everything with you. It's sort of designed for you to maybe grapple with a question or hold on to a moment, or maybe think about something in your world a little bit differently. That's really what it's sort of structured for is for like a little bit of perspective shift. Um, and some people have seen it twice and then they get a little bit more perspective shift, but it's not, um, it's not like an easy play to digest, if that makes sense. From but what about you as the creator and performer of it? Like, yeah. Like what, what is, yeah, what have you gotten or what are you continuing to get from yeah, it? it? I mean, I definitely learn different things each time. I think I learn different things with the audience. The thing that I've learned that's the most interesting is um, I thought I would need to change it more as time went on. And especially because things haven't necessarily gotten better. They've kind of gotten worse in some ways. Um, and there's so much, because I go through my ancestors' stories, there's so much in history that is already so relevant, no matter what's happening. Um, that's been really interesting for me, um, like to, to be moving through the same story as time moves on and see how, depending on what the political moment is, like different things mean different things has been really interesting. Like um, even just little things, like um, with some of the extremist Christianity things happening, like the way people hear the fact that we had to found church in order to not be forced to be removed is, is they hear it a little differently. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, that that was required of us. Um, they, they um, like around different times of year, things, things resonate differently. Like around July 4th, some of the stuff about, you know, the, the colonists no longer thinking they're English resonates very differently with audiences on mother's day people were like, there was pairs of like moms and daughters who were like obsessed with my mom and I's relationship. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's, um, it's interesting for me because I feel like, um, I've rewritten it also a ton of times. And so it's very layered and very intentional, but also I don't rewrite it, you know, fully every time I do it, I just change the epilogue for each location and the prologue. But, um, it's, so it's, it's something where I'm also starting to hit a point where I'm like, I kind of want to like, as a writer, the writer me is like, kind of wants to move on to the next thing because I feel like it's out of date. But then when I bring in audiences and they hear it, I'm always interested in that relationship of the fact that like, oh, well, I might think aspects of this play are out of date. Actually, how have things not changed at all? Because it's framed, a lot of the plays framed around, the play itself starts the day after Brexit, crossing the border between London and Sweden. And so a lot of the, the plays framed through this question of remaining and leaving. And I keep thinking, oh my gosh, it's like gonna be a period piece, you know? It's like, who cares about 2016 now, you know? But it's, um, it hasn't had that effect yet. So I'm, I'm just learning a lot about, I think how stories get passed down. And even I had this conversation with the Folger once where they were like, what do you want people who read your play in a hundred years to think? And I said, my God, I hope no one has to read this in a hundred years. I hope it's completely irrelevant. You know, I hope everything's fixed. Um, but it is interesting, this question of like, how do I change inside of it? Um, 
how do I not, you know, comment on my more, my younger self when I'm performing it? How do I make sure that I actually give full like heart and care to the version of me that didn't know things that I know now so that the audience on that journey is also with her, you know? Um, it's really, um, it's really been interesting to sort of think about all of that, I think in the spectrum of who these characters are in my own life, but also I guess as an artist, right? Performing myself every day, who I am in my own life. So it's not really an answer to anything. It's just a lot of rambling, but it's, it's very complicated. Madeline's play Where We Belong is currently touring around the country and just might be at a theater near you right now. She's taking the show to Seattle Repertory Theater September 8th through October 9th, 2022, then the Public Theater in New York City October 28th through November 27th, 2022, and then on to Portland Center Stage in Portland, Oregon February 25th through March 26th, 2023, and finally, Oregon Shakespeare Festival. August 29 through October 29, 2023. Check out her website, Madeline Say It, that's Say It is S A Y E T dot com for more info about her and the great work that she does. The subtext is brought to you by American Theatre Magazine, a program of Theatre Communications Group. If you like what you hear and want more, you're in luck because the subtext has dozens of past episodes you can listen to. Find them at americantheatre.org. That's theater with an R-E. Or you can find them wherever you find your wonderful podcasts you listen to. Find and follow us on the socials if that's what you're into. Thank you to Rob Weiner-Kent, Editor-in-Chief of American Theater Magazine. This episode was edited by the great KJ Jarbo and produced by me. Music is by Pictures of a Floating World. The theme song is from International Pen Pal. Thank you for listening. The play filling me up this month is Blanche and Stella, A Sequela by A.A. Brenner. I found it on New Play Exchange, and you can too.